Good morning, Bentree. So good to see you this morning. My name's Ralph. I'm one of the elder elders here at Bentree. Um, the message today is thirsting for a different harvest. The bulk of the message is going to be in the fourth chapter of the book of John. But we're going to start with a couple of verses out of Psalm 63. Would you stand with me for the reading of these? God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I believe everybody here has had those times in our life when we're physically, emotionally, or spiritually just dry. And we need a refreshing. Nothing that we seem to try quenches that thirst. And oh dear Father, if there's someone here today that's really thirsting for answers that they can't find here on this planet, oh Lord, touch their hearts. Draw them close to you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. I like being thirsty, then quenching it. Eating popcorn, then something cold to drink. Potato chips, then something cold to drink. Peanuts, then something cold to drink. Anybody else like that? Yeah, yeah. That you, and, and uh, each of you, uh, some of which some of you won't share, uh, have your own beverage of choice that you use to quench that salty thirst. You, you don't need to uh, tell me. The thing is, is we enjoy that, but thirst, thirst can be a, a thing that takes our health away and can even take our life away. In July of 2006, a young man from Riverdale, New Jersey, decided to embark upon uh, a, an adventure that was advertised. In fact, he spent $3,175 for this adventure sponsored by the Boulderness Outdoor Survival School. He traveled across country. He wasn't the only one. There were 12 of them and three guides. They went to a place 250 miles south of Salt Lake. On a 20-day, 28-day adventure, by the second day, David Buschow from New Jersey was in deep trouble. The people around him knew he was in deep trouble. At about 8.30 that morning, he had gotten some water, started to fill another bottle, but the people that organized this particular survival school disallowed that. You see, with this survival school, you were only allowed to drink water that was found on the trail. You couldn't take any with you during the day. By middle of the day, he had severe cramps. He'd laid down several times. 
he was starting to hallucinate. His skin became clammy. By the afternoon, even though they'd gone seven or eight miles in a hundred degree weather in that Utah desert, he was wobbly falling down. It was about seven in the evening. They were 200 feet away from a cave. In fact, this group of 12 had one end of the line that were the people that were walking faster and toward the end of the line, those that were walking slower. There were three guides with them. He collapsed 200 feet away and he said, someone bring me water. The people in the cave were hollering about finding the water. And the guide said, no, you can make it. I believe you can make it. And there on that dust, sand, swept piece of desert, 200 feet away from water, David Buschow breathed his last. 29 years old. The doctor that examined him said he died from severe dehydration and electrolyte imbalance. There's a rest of the story that we'll talk about during our time together today. So I have to give you the setting. This is the first year of the ministry of Jesus. He has... Uh, been baptized by John the Baptist. He has had time with Nicodemus. He had, he had, um, my brain said, I'm not helping you, Ralph. <laughs> he turned the water into wine. Um, he had had good times. He was in Jerusalem and he was heading back toward Galilee. Verse 3, he left Judea and went again to Galilee, and he had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, when you see this map, you understand that the red area was the way that the Jews would normally go and they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. There was a reason for that. During the period of captivity, when the two kingdoms were split, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, part of the Jewish people intermarried with other countries and peoples, and to Jews that was absolutely taboo. They even had a new place to worship, Mount Gerizim. They had different ways of worshiping. And the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And they would go out of their way. When they went this way, it's the equivalent of going from here, and in order to avoid uh, 287, whatever you call it, at that particular point in time, Lincoln, Cleveland, College. 287 
or I-25, you'd go all the way across to 85 through Nunn and Pierce and all those little bergs on your way to Wyoming. They would go there, there that far out of their way. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone to town to buy food. I want you to know something. That day... Jesus knew why he was going, where he was going, and what he was going to do when he got there. When you have a personal encounter with Jesus, it is not by accident. No, I, I'm not going to say, say amen. I'm going to say, that's right. No, say, that's right. Not uh-huh. That's right. That's right. Say, that's right. That's right. Alright. Trumbull is going to beat me up again if I say uh-huh. So say that's right. The God of the universe has personal encounters with each and every person on the planet. He, he does that because he personally loves us. The God we serve is a personal God. The God we serve died personally for my sins as he hung on that cross. The God we serve takes the time to encounter each of us personally. And when you have an encounter by, with him, it's never by accident. The next verse. Well, I, I want you to get this picture. Here they are, alone, by a well. This woman arrived there. Jesus knew that she would be there. Jesus knew his disciples would be in town. Jesus knew he'd have this one-on-one -on -one time. And then you have to start asking yourself, why would a woman be alone at a well in the middle of the day? We'll talk about that in a minute. Ninth verse, she's baffled too. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The God we serve will go to extraordinary lengths just to reach one person. Ask Moses with his encounter with the burning bush. Ask Gideon in the sixth chapter of the book of Judges. Ask Paul in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts on his way to Damascus. The God we serve will go to extraordinary lengths to reach one person. Jesus answered, 
If you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me to drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. When you're seeking to share Christ with someone, you need to meet them where they are, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I don't know about you, but I've had some encounters with some zealous Jesus people. You know what I mean? The ones that come up with a 97-pound reference Bible and smack you up the side of the head and say, you need Jesus. And they haven't bothered to find out what's going on in your life. They haven't bothered to find out if, that you just lost your dad or your job or your child announced that they've been into things that just blew your mind. You haven't bothered to ask them if they had just found out from the doctor that they have a devastating disease or someone that they love has a devastating disease. And they're spiritually and emotionally and physically dry. And they need a touch from someone beyond themselves. And we need to meet them where they are. When Jesus met that woman on that day at that moment, he met her where she was. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. We're surrounded by people who have an unquenched thirst in their life. And she sure did. She told him, I'll tell him this little bit. I don't have a husband. And now a story is unfolding. And now he has taken the time to get to know her, to meet her where she is in her moment of desperation. Go call your husband. Jesus knew the answer before he ever asked the question. I don't have a husband.
You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see you're a prophet. I've heard this message preached many times before. I heard it preached one time, and the man that was preaching said, yes, he needed to point out to her where her sin was because she needed to repent so she could repent and then she could have a relationship with Christ. Nothing could be more upside down and backwards. She needed Christ's touch in her life at that moment. She didn't need anyone to tell her that she didn't currently have a husband. She had probably beaten herself up day after day after day. You see, immorality is often motivated by deep emotional needs that few people can see. When I was in high school, there was a, I know, you're thinking, right on a dinosaur there. <laughs> I know, I know, I, 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 I feel, I feel what you're saying. There was a song by Dion called Run Around Sue. Here's my story, sad but true. It's about a girl that I once knew. She took my love and ran around with every single guy in town. I should have known it from the very start. The girl would leave me with a broken heart. Now listen, people, what I'm telling you. Keep away from run around. So you didn't know I couldn't sing, did you? <laughs> there was a girl. I was going to high school and everybody knew. Everybody knew about her. She slept around. Everybody thought she had loose morals. Talked to a friend of mine from high school, getting a reunion together, and I'm not going to tell you which reunion, <laughs> so that you can help me hitch my horse up so I can go back to that reunion. asked about people, those that had passed away, those that had moved away. And this young lady had passed away, drug overdose. She'd been married a couple of times, alcohol problems, drug problems. She slept around because she wanted somebody to care for her. This lady wasn't promiscuous. She was broken. Giving of her body was a simple, simple cost for human touch, for someone, just someone to love her, someone to 
hug her just for a moment. You see, we often define immorality. Well, you're, you're stuck in that bottle. You're stuck in those drugs. You're stuck with that gambling addiction. You're stuck with promiscuity. And oftentimes, it's a mask for deep emotional problems that someone is running from. They've got a thirst that's overwhelming. And that's why I say we need to meet people where they are, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And perhaps you know someone. Perhaps they're related to you. Perhaps they're a son, a daughter, a friend, a sister. My mother got pregnant out of wedlock. Two of my sisters got pregnant out of wedlock. My daughter got pregnant out of wedlock. And when you talk to them, you discover something. When that happened, with each of them, they had a very low opinion of themselves at that point in their lives. They were hurting. They didn't need someone putting their finger in their face and telling them what a sinful being they were. Jesus didn't do that with this young lady. Uh, Jesus met her where she was and just loved her. Don't we serve a great God? That's for you, Nicole. In rehearsal this morning, she said, you know, you have to jump like that. <laughs> well, now the lady knows that he knows. She knows he's a prophet. So she gradually turns the conversation. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's talking about Mount Gerizim. But you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. But Jesus listened beyond that. You see, the people at that time believed that you had to go to a certain place to worship because God would be there. The real question is, I'm hurting, I'm broken. Where is God? Where is he? Where can I find him? And you know what, folks? Surrounding us right here on the front range right now in 2019, there are people asking the same question. And God has placed us here to show them a grace-filled, merciful, unconditionally loving God. Wow! If I were a shouting man, I'd go, whoo! I'm not. I'm much more reserved than that. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans watch, 
worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And at that moment, Jesus saw something in this lady. He saw a person that was sincerely seeking the Messiah. And that's the next takeaway. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. Oh, I'm sorry. My, uh, Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. God will reveal himself to us when we sincerely seek him. Have those times in your life where you say, Lord, if, if you're real, if you are really there, oh, show me. Lord, show me that you're there. She believed a Messiah was coming. She had a thirst in her life that nothing could fulfill. She believed that he would have the answer. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm right here in front of you. Just then his disciples arrived. and They were amazed that he was talking to the, with a woman. Of course they were amazed. He's in Samaria, so she's a Samaritan woman. If they had been there, everybody in town knew what reputation that she had. And he was alone by a well with this woman. Yet no one said to him, what do you want? and Why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Now this, to me, is truly amazing. God will use the most unexpected people in the most unexpected ways to accomplish his mission. Isn't that amazing? That's right. <laughs> it is amazing to me. Think about this. He could have gone to Sychar himself, but he didn't. He could have sent his disciples two by two as he would during his ministry, but he didn't. He could have sent the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, but he didn't. Instead, he sent a broken, empty, thirst-for-love-filled woman that had a reputation in town. You know, in a town that small, every time there was a wedding, everyone knew and everyone knew there hadn't been a wedding for this couple. 
She went. She went. She went and told them, he's told me everything about myself. Is this the Christ? Wow. Wow. And when you say, look at my life, it's a mess. How in the world would someone listen to me if I went and tried to share my faith with them? Look at the woman. That's right. <laughs> From now on, I'm just... When we say, we can't, no one will listen to me. I don't have the moral background to be a good witness of Jesus Christ. He uses broken people just like us. Isn't that wonderful? Don't we serve a mighty God? In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finished his work. Jesus told them. <laughs> he came there hungry and thirsty, and now he wasn't hungry anymore. And the lady came to get water, and now she wasn't thirsty anymore. Wow! See, I could sense there was somebody out there that was just nodding off, and I had to get past that. Don't you say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I am telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Now, you get a picture of harvest. And the, the amazing thing about our Savior is when he talked about becoming fishers of men, he was talking where there was the sea and, and, and people fishing. And when he talked about sowing seeds, he pointed to a farmer. And so, will you back that up one? So when people said, look at the fields, they're white unto harvest, people are thinking, the white harvest fields, ah, oh, but that's not what he was looking at. This is the picture. Those people, remember, the lady went to town and said, come see? He was pointing to those people coming from town in those white robes, Here's the field, white to harvest. They're all around us. That's the harvest that we've been sent to bring. I have to catch up with where I am there. Verse 36. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for, others have labored, 
and you have benefited from their labor. When you search, serve Christ, you'll touch lives whether or not you see the results. Some of the results on this day, and by the way, many people came after this, even though we're stopping in our scriptures here, Many people came and accepted Christ, some because of the woman, some because of, of what Jesus said on that day. That's what they told her. When you touch lives, you may not see the result. Touch them anyway. Somebody spoke into your life at a time that you didn't realize this was why they were put into your life. And you are why you are in someone else's life. So what's the message? Well, I first need to bring you up to date on David Buschow. One of the guides, while he was 200 feet away from the water, said, bring me the water, said, you can make it. It's really close. You can do it. What they didn't find until the investigation afterwards was each of the guides was carrying emergency water, each of them. But they never told him. Oh, was there a lawsuit? multi-million dollar lawsuit. Did they change procedures at the Boulder Outdoor Survival School? They changed procedures after this young man died. There are people thirsting all around us. We're carrying the water in here and in here, and a lot of us, though we're carrying the water, aren't sharing the water we're carrying. And people are dying of thirst. So what's the message to the woman that God can use absolutely anyone to spread the word? What's the message to the woman that there is no one at a place so broken in their life that Christ can't redeem you. What's the message to the disciples? That each of us have a responsibility of reaching people. That each of us will encounter people in our lives as we walk by. We need to look around, folks, we need to draw a circle around ourselves and say, why has this person been brought into my life at this point in their journey? The message to the disciples is to keep your eyes open. What's the message to the Samaritans? We're not avoiding you anymore. This Jesus they talked about is a redeeming Savior for all the world, not just you. What's the message to us? The message to us 
is that right now, somewhere in your circle of friends, acquaintances, relatives, perhaps someone in this room in your shoes right now or at a broken place in your life. You walk through these doors, so dry, so thirsty. And everything that you've tried from an immoral lifestyle, to gambling, to drugs, to alcohol, has left you thirsty. Have I got a savior for you? What's the message to us? To take that message to somebody that you know that's hurting right now and say, oh, have I got a loving Savior? And to love them, not put our finger in their face and point out their shortcomings. How many of you believe that if you have shortcomings, you already know it? The God we serve stands at the ready to forgive us, to redeem us, and have a huge angel write our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you're here today and you're hurting, if you're an elder in this room, would you raise your hand? There's an elder back there. And I'm one. That one back there is older than me, but. That's right. <laughs> he's, he's caught on. He's caught on. If you're hurting and you need somebody to talk to, catch us, pull us aside, and we'll chat with you. We're going to take communion in a few minutes, but first, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the redeeming power of your word. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the sacrificial love that you have for each of us. For your son who died on the cross for our sins. I thank you for showing us the power of redemption through this precious lady on that dusty day in Samaria. And Lord, if there's someone here that needs to draw closer to you, help them realize you stand with open arms ready. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are about to embark upon communion in the 22nd chapter of the book of Luke.
There are people thirsting all around us. We're carrying the water in here and in here. And a lot of us, though we're carrying the water, aren't sharing the water we're carrying. And people are dying of thirst. So what's the message to the woman that God can use absolutely anyone to spread the word? What's the message to the woman that there is no one at a place so broken in their life that Christ can't redeem you? What's the message to the disciples that each of us have a responsibility of reaching people, that each of us will encounter people in our lives as we walk by. We need to look around, folks. We need to draw a circle around ourselves and say, why has this person been brought into my life at this point in their journey? The message to the disciples is to keep your eyes open. What's the message to the Samaritans? We're not avoiding you anymore. This Jesus they talked about is a redeeming Savior for all the world, not just you. What's the message to us? The message to us is that right now, somewhere in your circle of friends, acquaintances, relatives, perhaps someone in this room in your shoes right now or at a broken place in your life, you walk through these doors, so dry, so thirsty, And everything that you've tried from an immoral lifestyle to gambling to drugs to alcohol has left you thirsty. Have I got a savior for you? What's the message to us? To take that message to somebody that you know that's hurting right now and say, oh, have I got a loving Savior. And to love them, not put our finger in their face and point out their shortcomings. How many of you believe that if you have shortcomings, you already know it? The God we serve stands at the ready to forgive us, to redeem us, and have a huge angel write our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you're here today and you're hurting, if you're an elder in this room, would you raise your hand? There's an elder back there. And I'm one. That one back there is older than me, but. <laughs> he's, he's caught on. He's caught on. 
If you're hurting and you need somebody to talk to, catch us, pull us aside, and we'll chat with you. We're going to take communion in a few minutes, but first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the redeeming power of your word. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the sacrificial love that you have for each of us, for your Son who died on the cross for our sins. I thank you for showing us the power of redemption through this precious lady on that dusty day in Samaria. And Lord, if there's someone here that needs to draw closer to you, help them realize you stand with open arms ready. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are about to embark upon communion in the 22nd chapter of the book of Luke.